This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980CFPL. On Friday, the London Knights held a remembrance service before their game against North Bay. In attendance was Lieutenant Josh Chu from the Royal Canadian Navy. We had a chance to talk with Lieutenant Chu in the second intermission. He is originally from London and has basically been on both coasts of this country, lived out west for a while, right now is stationed in Halifax. And we started off our conversation asking him just what it's like to be back home. It's nice to be back home, and uh, it's nice to be out in the Navy and, and come back home to visit family. It's the, it's the backbone of what we do. And we do it for the people that are here and, and your family that's back home in London. Well, thank you very much. As far as joining the Canadian military, when did you make that decision? It was a decision, and I did it later in life. Uh, a lot of people should be should know that it's, it's a good decision to make earlier in life. There's uh, a lot of opportunity. It's a very valid career option. Uh, the, the benefits are outstanding. And to, to be almost 30 years old and making $100,000 a year is something a lot of people should know. And joining the forces, and that's the way you can do it, and serve your country. And it's a, a very good feeling to get up in the morning and go to work knowing that you're doing a, a good job. We're joined by Lieutenant Josh Chu from the Canadian Navy. We probably don't appreciate what it is like to be in the Navy. So can you give us a, a little snapshot of how things have gone? Maybe because it's probably not a day-by-day thing. It's probably a years-by-years thing. Absolutely. And and being from London, Ontario, it's you don't understand what the Navy does being on the coast. And it's so f- disconnected. But, uh, you know, going to the Navy and uh, we just did Cutlass Fury 19, which was a huge exercise we did in September. It was uh, 20 different ships from 12 different nations. So it was a huge international uh, exercise that we did. And we got to go out, and uh, there were U.S. submarines and uh, British submarines, and we got to go out, and we got to hunt them and find out what the, the Canadian Navy was capable of doing. And it was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it was very, very good at what we could do. Yeah. So you feel as though we're in good hands having we are, seen what we happened We are, there? we are. Knowing what the ships can do, um, the, the Canadian military doesn't get the credit that it deserves. And, and they're very capable of what they do because we train. And we train and we train and we train and we train and we're very capable of what we do. And, uh, you know, the looking at the Army, they're the very best in the world at, at, at gunfire and, and section attacks. They're very good at what they do. And the, and the Navy is very good at hunting submarines. The Royal Canadian Navy is the very best in the world at hunting submarines. But people don't know that, and no. and I feel like they should, because it is it's our contribution to NATO. So everybody says, "What do we do? What does the military do?" The Royal Canadian Navy is the best in the world at hunting submarines, and that's our contribution to NATO. So when we get together as a NATO group and a NATO task force, what is the what is the what do the Canadians offer? We're extremely good at hunting submarines, and that's what we do. That is fantastic, and thank you for sharing that. Because yeah. Oh, We don't get an opportunity to hear things like that. In terms of Remembrance Day, when Remembrance Day comes around, what does that mean to you? So, 
remember say is there's there's a lot of history involved and you you don't really know where you come from until you you can understand what they do and so to imagine what the battle of the atlantic was uh the Royal Canadian Navy's contribution to World War II, and it was the 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 enforcement and the protection of getting supplies to Britain from Canada. And the Battle of the Atlantic, you'll see all the Atlantic fleet has the the barber pole is the red and white around the the funnels that symbolizes this ship was a part of the Battle of the Atlantic. And Winston Churchill said, you know, the Battle of the Atlantic was the key to winning. World War II, and it was because of the supplies from Canada and North America to uh, Britain. And so to be a part of a ship that carries the namesake of a ship that was the luckiest ship in the fleet, Fredericton is where I'm from, uh, is, is unbelievable to know that there are people that they they signed up and they said, yep, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to I'm going to make my contribution. And, you know, a hundred, well, 50 years later, they say, I'm still a part of this. Yeah. And that ship says, my ship was a part of World War II and and the Battle of the Atlantic. Well, thank which you. Which was Canada's contribution. Yeah. Thank you again for the information. Thank you again for your service and for giving us that real kind of perspective. Lieutenant Chu, all the best. Thank you. That is Lieutenant Josh Chu of the Royal Canadian Navy. So, if you're ever sitting back and thinking, yeah, what does Canada do militarily? What have we done? We have peacekeepers, or and that's where we tend to kind of draw our lines. Well, when NATO gets together, and they're looking for anyone to hunt submarines, and we've got to realize... Military conflicts do take place at times, and you need to deal with them. Well, Canada is called for hunting submarines. The Army has specialization. And, you know, maybe we need to study more about NATO. Maybe we need to realize this is how NATO deals with things. Can you do this? Can you have uh, an Army that does this, a Navy that does this, an Air Force that does this? Can you handle this, and you handle this, and you hand out... You hand out basic, I guess, jobs and and roles to play, and then you wind up having NATO as, as strong as possible. So thank you to Lieutenant Chu for sharing that. We had an opportunity to talk with retired Master Corporal Jay Stewart, and we started off our conversation Asking him what Remembrance Day is like for him. It's a time that you do deep reflection on. Um, The people that you served with who are no longer with us, the members that you never knew that put their lives on the line and are no longer with their families. Um, It's a deep reflection time where... It's saddening and yet celebrating because they're the people who allowed Canada to be what it is today. If you go back to when you made the decision to serve your country, how did you do it? <laughs> um, that was uh, that was based on a friend, actually. Uh, uh, 
Dan Travis, the guy I signed up with, and um, I said, uh, let's join the Army. And I said, okay, let's do it. And we went down and signed up, and uh, then our lives completely changed. At that moment, when you were signing up, do you think you had a handle on what it meant to be doing what you were doing? <laughs> Not at all. Um, signing the dotted line has so much gray area that you have no idea about. It's not even funny. Um, uh, my qualification uh, in the forces, I, I became explosives qualified, and now my passport is tagged for the rest of my life. <laughs> really? Because you've handled explosives as a member of the armed forces, that shows up on your passport? Correct. When I, uh, Whenever I go through uh, a border, um, especially in the U.S., uh, they swipe my passport and they ask me my occupation. Um, I say retired, and then I say, uh, well, why are you retired? And I always say, well, I'm a veteran who got injured. And uh, I said, uh, what are you doing down here? And, and a lot of the times uh, they'll actually have me searched. Um, they're really good about it. Don't get me wrong. They're just doing their jobs. But because of my qualification of mind warfare, booby trapping, explosives, I'm always checked. Wow. Now, in terms of checked, how long would that take as opposed to most people who are able to go have their passport swiped, say, I'm a Canadian, here's my occupation, I'm not bringing anything into the country. So what does that mean for you? Oh, it's it's. Uh, they do a quick check. They'll always check my electronics. They may have my me pull off my shoes. They'll swab my shoes. That sort of thing. Um, but they're always really quick and good about it. I mean, the test is really really quick, so it's it's not a big deal. And I know they're doing their jobs, and they're always really kind to me. So there's no issues. Jay Stewart joining us, Master Corporal in the Canadian Armed Forces, now retired. As we talk about Remembrance Day, and we talk about what happens when you decide to say, I am going to serve my country. Can you take us through the dotted line, signing on the dotted line, becoming trained, and then what took place next? Absolutely. Um, when we signed the dotted line, we committed to a three-year contract um, as a non-commissioned member, and uh, then we waited for our shipment date, and our shipment dates came, and we were off to Cornwallis, Nova Scotia for basic training. Uh, it was 10 weeks in basic training, and that's where your whole life has changed right there. You, you go from civilian life to, to a more regimented uh, living style, at which point, um, after you've made that adjustment, then uh, we're, uh, I was sent with my friend out to infantry training, which was in uh, Wainwright, Alberta, um, for uh, the battle school of the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, and that was 17 weeks. And if you survived that, then you were awarded your cap badge and then sent to battalion. Um, I was lucky. I was sent to uh, Calgary, 1st Battalion Patricia's, and it was the best base in the world, as far as I'm concerned, as a downhill skier. I was 40 minutes for Banff. <laughs> um, at which point, uh, then you get your qualification trainings, your TQ4s, as we used to refer to them, and that's when I got my Pioneer course, and that was part of the explosives uh, um, qualification. Um, the next course I was sent on was my Infantry Section Commander's course, and that was back up to uh, Wainwright, another 17 weeks of sheer hell, and uh, hopefully you survived it, and if you did, then you were possibly put on the promotion list, which I was. When you say 17 weeks of sheer hell, is there anything to put into words that we might understand that made it that way? Don't sleep for three weeks on end. 
always worried uh, that you're going to be sent home and not a single minute to yourself the entire time you're driving the body, you're fighting through the pain, you're trying to accumulate the knowledge required that they want you to get to become a leader and keep your head down and just keep going. Is that training something that eventually you went, wow, that's why we did that? We needed to do that because? 100%. The training is meant to be difficult, um, especially in the infantry training, because we're supposed to be the front line. And if you don't have that experience of being driven into the ground and, and hopefully praying to God that you're going to survive that, when it actually comes to uh, when you do a tour, and ours was uh, Sector South Croatia, um, life is not easy when you're there. And uh, this just allowed it to become a building block so you can survive those experiences. We're talking with Jay Stewart, Master Corporal in the Canadian Armed Forces, now retired. What is that flight overseas like? <laughs> um our flight overseas was, uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, when you're heading over, if it's your first tour, um, you can't wait to get on the ground. You can't wait to start doing the job live. Um, and then, uh, then reality sets in, um, that the job is not as exciting or spectacular as you thought it was going to be, um, interspersed with sheer moments of pure fear, uh, that, that you have to accept and realize is all part of why you get paid. Now, when you get to those moments of fear, how do you deal with them? That, again, comes down to the training that they put you through, the, the, rigor, the rigor of training that causes you to accept the fact that fear is just an emotion and you can put it aside and move forward. Um, and you, a lot of us learn to transfer fear straight to adrenaline that the body will produce. So. so what sorts of things were you then doing in Croatia? Because areas of the world like that, we often think Canadians are taken there as part of a peacekeeping mission. We, we were there under the UN peacekeeping mission, but we took over Sector South. Our orders actually changed on the plane. We were supposed to take over in the north, and uh, apparently the UN had developed a peace plan at that point to open up Sector South. So we then became a peacemaking mission where we had to go in, do a full setup, divide the, the three different parties that were involved in that civil war, and then set up some security, set up some uh, health and welfare for the people, supply lines, food, medicine, that sort of thing. Um, and that kind of changed things um, for us at that point because we thought we were going into the UN to become police at that point. And we were then put on a more of a war footing. And so instead of having a, a more of a, a policing-type attitude, would you say you had to have more of a soldier-type attitude? Yeah, we had to be a little bit more aggressive, disarming the population, uh, moving forward, making um, mixed villages and towns that where all three parties were living together safe that they could continue to do so. 
So we had to take more of an aggressive stance along with setting up our uh, OPs, our observation points, uh, to be able to watch the UN zone of security that was dividing the parties, so to speak. We're talking with Jay Stewart, Master Corporal, Canadian Armed Forces, now retired. How long were you over in Croatia? We did a six-month tour. Um, I got in on uh, I got in on the first party in, so to speak, uh, first flight in, and I actually got a chance to get on the last party out. So uh, I, I almost did six and a half months, which was nice. When you think about Remembrance Day, you mentioned right away that it's a time to reflect. It's a time to remember people who aren't here, who are no longer with their families. How does it make you feel when you think of them? Do you think of them as heroes? Do you think of their families and think now they go forward without that person in their lives? That's two different uh, emotions. For the members who are no longer with us, who have given their lives, I completely respect them. I, I honor them. Um, but for the parents and the family members, for example, the Silver Cross mother this year, um, you can see that no matter how much I honor their son or daughter, those service people are gone and those were their children. Um, it's, that must be the hardest thing for a parent to go through. And in that case, all I can do is provide my support and, and words of kindness. Are we doing enough to recognize what the men and women in our military have done from World War II until today? Because a lot of the focus does tend to be still on World War I and World War II. Do we need to take more time to recognize the efforts, the contributions, and the losses that have taken place in the years that have passed since then? I'm, yes, absolutely. But World War II veterans, Korean veterans, um, need to be fully supported and respected also. The newer veterans, the longest war we've ever had in Canada was Afghanistan. It's longer than the two world wars put together. Um, and with, in between Korea and Afghanistan, we had thousands of UN missions that Canadian Forces members served on and they need to be fully supported also. Part of that comes down to the fact that the media needs to um, report more on those tours and on those members, along with uh, the population needs to continue to enforce through their politicians that veterans are supported by the government. And how is that support for you? In my case, I refer to myself as a hybrid veteran. I'm under the old charter, so I'm pensioned every month for the rest of my life tax-free. And I've had the benefits of the new charter that came in December, or correction, uh, April 1st, uh, 2006, uh, the Veterans Reestablishment Act. And so I was uh, is sent to school. Veterans Affairs allowed me to go to Western. I got a four-year business degree. Um, I've had a one-time payout, which is what the difference is with the lump sum payouts. But when you do that, when we actually work out the comparison between the old charter and the new charter, we're shorting our veterans, our new veterans, by millions of dollars in their lifetime. Hmm. Did you lose anyone really close to you in your time of serving? I 
didn't lose a member to death. We, we lost a, a, a number of people to traumatic injuries that were no longer able to serve. Um, but I was lucky in the fact that the members that had died on our tour, I was, I was just uh, an associate of. I, they weren't good friends of mine. Right. Well, Jay, we have had so many men and women who have given their lives, and we really appreciate your time today and talking about Remembrance Day. Is Remembrance Day a hard day for you? Is it a good day for you? How would you describe it? Again, that comes down to a mix of emotions. Um, It's always a difficult day honoring and remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice and those who gave their mind and bodies and still have to suffer with those traumatic injuries today. And then after the ceremony, when veterans sit down together, have, uh, have a couple of beverages and talk, um, that's really, really strengthening morally and, and mentally for, for you. Well, it's good to know that that happens. Jay, thank you so much for your time and in taking us into your life and, and what what has happened. We really appreciate it. As always, thank you so much for your radio station and your personal support in uh, advancing veterans' issues and bringing them to the forefront. That is Jay Stewart, retired Master Corporal in the Canadian Army. We'll talk a lot about the Canada-Russia series. We're going to look at the history of it. We'll also debate a little bit about whether it still has merits. And my opinion has changed on that even in the last little while. If you asked me that question five years ago, I would have said, ah, I think it's starting to you know, come up to a point where we've got to think up another way to do this. But no, appreciate it for what it is. It is essentially an exhibition series but it brings together some of the best of the best. They they still have that thing where they want to win. This is not the gold medal game at the World Juniors just yet, but these are players trying to get there. And it's almost like watching training camp. If you're a hockey fan anymore, what do hockey fans pay a lot of attention to? The draft, they pay a lot of attention to training camp. It's not just hockey fans. Any sport will have that. The NFL is great at letting people into their training camp and showing them, here's what it's like. Who do you think should make this team? Who's going to make this team? That's the stage we're at right now. So I think this series really does have merit, and it has been great hockey. And there is another game tonight, Game 4, at Budweiser Gardens. And Jake Jeffrey and I had a chance to sit down and have a good long chat with a prospect of the Los Angeles Kings, a member of the Niagara Ice Dogs, and a member of Team OHL tonight, Akil Thomas. And he had a great game when Team OHL and Russia met in Kitchener last week. And we asked him where that game ranked for him among games he's played in his life. That was definitely up there. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you know, all four of our four lines are absolutely unreal. And uh, it's just so fun playing with a lot of good players. And, you know, every time you give it to someone, you know, they're going to make a nice play. And, you know, it's a good, good chance of you scoring in the O-zone. So uh, it was a lot of fun. How do you know when to shoot in those instances? Because, you know, you get to the point where they've sent you a nice pass, you want to return the favor, you're hesitant to do it. How do you know? Yeah, well, conversely, like, you know, the Russians are a good team and uh, they play good defense. So, 
Uh, I, I didn't. I don't think uh, anyone passed up too many shooting opportunities just because they didn't give us that that many. So uh, they did well defensively, and uh, I think we're just kind of going to do the same thing tonight too. Well, and what does that Canada-Russia rivalry mean to you? You know, you must have grown up watching some sort of games. You know, what's the earliest kind of dating back that Canada-Russia yeah. rivalry sticks out to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, that uh, that goal that I really scored kind of sticks out to me. Uh, I grew up watching every World Junior, obviously, and just turns out that you know the Russians were playing the Canadians like every year at some point in a big game, and it was a it was a game where someone was coming back from behind or something like that. So uh, a lot of a lot of good games and. Uh, you know, I, I felt it like last game. They're hitting us whenever they could. You know, on the power play, I was in front of the net, and they're just whacking me for no reason. It's just it, there's al- there's always that that feeling of you know competition there. So, when you look at the fact that you were watching that, now you're in it. What is it like to be in it? Yeah, uh, it's a little a little weird to be honest. Um, just on the bench, I was thinking like. Uh, I remember at like the you know the national anthem, I was thinking like wow, I was watching this and they seem so like old. They seem like men like when I was watching when I was younger, and then now I'm I'm here and I'm looking at them and they look same age as me. So it was a little little weird for sure. Yeah. Now is that something you need to like put out of your mind, or is it kind of once your uh, skates at the ice, it's gone kind of thing? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't really bother me or trust me on anything. It's just it's just it, it's interesting. It's just yeah, yeah, well, that's neat. In terms of this year in the OHL, what's that been like? Because you've got Philip Tomasino on this team, and you guys are able to, to have some great chemistry. You've got some other good players. How's it been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year. Um, we have a young team, and you know it's been a little bit bumpy. But uh, you know, as an older guy, it's 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 been a lot of fun. Just kind of you know make an impact on the rookies and the young guys we have, and kind of see them progress and get better. It's it, it's cool. Like I kind of feel like a little old, like an older brother basically to them, and. Um, it's 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 fun, you know, because you know people probably didn't think we we're going to win that many games this year, and um, I think we're we're doing better than people thought, and I think that's good, and we're just going to keep it going, and uh, I think we're we're a pretty good team. Yeah. And how much does that help a little bit? Sort of like a rally cry with you guys, you know, yeah. you can be the guy. No one's expecting us to do much, and you, and yeah. obviously we've seen you guys here and stuff like that. And you're a tough team to play against. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, I think some teams take it slightly, and. Um, that's that's happened a couple of times. You know, we were up on Ottawa three one in the first period, and then they ended up coming back. But uh, you know, I think it's it's cool being the other dog. Uh, you know, we just got to want it more than the other team. And um, you know, it's, I don't think it's it's too much to ask to want it more than the other team, especially when you know you got nothing to lose. And um, it's it's been fun, kind of you know, working with a team like that. Yeah. And now with the C this year, do you, you know, sort of handle that leadership responsibility. Anyway, you were a leader there last year as yeah. well. Once that C's sewn on, does anything change, or is it sort of business? as usual for yeah. you? Um, not really. Uh, you know, I think uh, I've always kind of been a vocal guy. He's always been, you know, a guy who, you know, kind of is, is a leader in the locker room and stuff like that. And um, I think maybe the only thing is uh, I kind of talk to guys more one-on-one just because everyone's young. Like, we have we have 12 guys who have been playing in the league. And, you know, like, I remember my first year, if, if an older guy kind of took me aside and, you know, took me to lunch or something, it went a long way. And, you know, I, I'm trying to do the exact same thing with the young guys. So, I think more, like the more of the the one on one conversations and you know just a tap on the shoulder and I think that's kind of been the difference for me. Now you think that's almost more beneficial on the ice, off the ice, but both kind of things, you yeah. know, because there's so much for a rookie that they learn away from the rank, right? Yeah, for sure, both. I mean, you know, obviously in minor hockey, like 
like your parents are kind of there to feed you and stuff and to make sure you know you're hydrating for games and stuff and now you come to the ohl and it's telling you to do that you have to do it on your own and you have to you know live like a pro and you know get good rest stretch and 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 do all that stuff so i just i think just kind of you know showing the rookies like how to be a pro it's kind of something that that i i've tried to do off the ice and you know on the ice you know just showing them you know if, if you're having trouble doing this in a game then do this after practice a couple of times you know what i mean so that's kind of something that i've been doing too and uh it, it's cool it, it, it's cool kind of making an impact on them speaking of that your pro career is not too far away la what's it like to go to camp in la or think about even next year playing in california yeah uh, it's crazy um you know people say you know the ohl goes by fast and i didn't realize how fast it was going to go i mean i mean my fourth year it seems like it should be my second maybe and um it's it's crazy that like you know i'm kind of on my way out of the league and I, f- I feel like i just came in and um just being at camp and and you know talking to my teammates and you know the conversations are more about like their family and their kids and stuff whereas you come here and like you're with kids so it's it's a big difference it's a big change and um you know i'm excited for it i think i'm ready good luck thank you appreciate it that is akil thomas who will be playing tonight for team ohl in the canada russia series you can hear that game on 980 cfpl and you can also see it at budweiser gardens You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.